Episode 2 of the More Than Just Code podcast, First World Problems. Today's topics, breaking up large apps into smaller task-based apps, gruber jokes and the media misinterprets, what does it really mean to be indie, and we let Tim ask about VAR, and did you order the pizza? Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, this is our second episode. My name is Tim Mitra. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm here joined by Aaron Vey in Whitby, Ontario, and Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington, and uh, Mark Rubin in uh, San Jose, California. So who wants to jump in right away on to breaking apps apart into smaller apps? So I'll take a first crack at that. So sure. somewhat recently, there's been a trend towards doing that. Uh, most famously was Facebook with splitting out its Messenger app from the uh, main Facebook app. And Foursquare splitting out its check-in capability into a completely new app called Swarm. Mm -hmm. And kind of my view on both of those is is quite different. So in both cases, um, it was really forced upon users. Um, Facebook uh, fairly recently said, hey, look, you're not going to be able to do any messaging whatsoever unless you download the Messenger app. And likewise, Foursquare um, also did the, oh, by the way... uh, the check-in capability is going to be only available in Swarm fairly soon here. And yeah, they, gave, they gave a bit of a they gave a bit of a bit of a warning, like a couple of weeks or whatever, to sort of play around with things. But like now, it's they've pulled the plug on Foursquare completely, and you have to use Swarm and Facebook. You might as well use Messenger now, effectively, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so for me as a as a Facebook user, it actually worked out pretty well because the Messenger app I find is um, a lot more capable than what the uh, same functionality was in the Facebook app itself. And it feels like a much more cohesive experience where I'm going in and I'm talking to somebody or I'm sending video and sending pictures. Uh, they even have a little bit of a, a sticker thing where you can send like a little cute face icon sort of thing. And that works out pretty well versus having the chat heads inside of the Facebook app, which, which never really felt quite right. On the flip side, there's Foursquare that, turned its main app into being sort of a Yelp competitor, giving you suggestions of places you should eat or new things you should try. And the check-in functionality got pushed out to the Swarm app. And so that one feels a whole lot different because for me, I wasn't really going to Foursquare to find out what are the new things to eat. I mean, for me, I already use Yelp for that. Swarm, the check-in piece felt like that was the main experience. And the main experience was pulled out into a separate app. Versus Facebook, where for me, the main experience is uh, posting of photos and video. And secondarily, you do the messaging piece. That's true. Yeah, I I hardly ever use the messaging piece myself. And and I know what you mean about the Foursquare thing, because I I still open Foursquare expecting to be able to check in there. The the, the question, I I don't use Facebook and I don't use Foursquare. I don't use Swarm. I don't use Messenger. I don't use any of this stuff. Um, So... I'm I'm just uh, pointing out thoughts that occurred to me while you were talking about this, Jaime. Um, what uh, what's the condition of Foursquare as a business? Um, I guess what I'm coming down to is, um, did Foursquare break out this app because they are kind of in trouble and they're looking at this as kind of a pivot, or um, are they just trying to be different? Uh, what's the motivation for the breaking of the app? It seems to be more like like Jaime was sort of saying to become more like Yelp because they they seem to want to be uh, 
you know, tell you, give you information of what's near you, right? As opposed to telling you what your what your friends are doing, which is kind of think where what the, the original mode of the app was all about. Right? So it's a pivot then. I think so. I think so. It right. feels like that to me because um, I, I think a lot of the luster has worn off on becoming the mayor of your local coffee <laughs> shop. And I think Foursquare was sitting on this gigantic set of data that it wasn't really sure what to do with. I mean, from a developer standpoint, I really love the fact that their API has all this venue information. And I think that's what they decided to use. Like, okay, well, we've got this, and this would be hard to recreate. What can we do with it? And I think, sorry, but I think it goes without saying that Foursquare is not doing too well these days, and they had to do something. Well, I was going to ask. I, di- I didn't realize that Foursquare's API was was all that good. Like, you can use you can use their API to access location based information. I mean, it's pretty nifty. You know, like you go into the app and. You use your current location and it says, oh, well, it looks like you might be next to either this Starbucks or this McDonald's or this gas station. Where do you want to check in? Sure. And that sort of same information is, is pretty useful for location-based apps. Hmm. Okay. Um, so that was sort of, you know, as users, what do we think of, you know, these two particular instances and breaking out of apps? But what about from from your point, Tim, about like, oh, wow, like, why do I have 10 different apps to do 10 different things instead of having something that's a little more uh, together, like a suite perhaps? Well, that's true. I think that that's my main objection to, because I do use these two apps quite a bit. I mean, uh, I've actually actually been avoiding Facebook for a while, but I use Foursquare every day. I mean, I use it to time my, my walks to the dog park with the dog and stuff like that. And, and I, I resent the fact that I was the mayor of the dog park and now I'm not, right? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I worked really hard to be that mayor, but yeah, I mean, so now initially, like, you know, I, I would open the, the, uh, the Foursquare app and then immediately get sent over to swarm whenever I was trying to do stuff. And, and that was a bit annoying. And then today, it, you know, it just happens that, you know, I have a significant family event going on and I'm getting a lot of messages today. Um, some are coming in through, through the messaging app and some are coming in through Facebook itself. And I'm finding switching back and forth between the two apps is is, is really annoying, you know. Um, I do like the fact that some apps like Facebook and in some cases Foursquare are big apps that have a lot of things going on. I know we're all told to create apps that have one unique experience that's really good. But in the case of Foursquare, or sorry, Facebook, um, the experience of the app is trying to is trying to distill down what you use on the desktop version of Facebook. So it needs to have all those other utilities available, including messaging. I'm not sure why they broke messaging out. But then again, we don't know their numbers from from looking at how the, the API is being used or what data goes on their servers. It may, in fact, be that messaging is a huge piece of what's going on on Facebook, right? And and maybe they need to spin that out, right? To me, Foursquare's, um, the, look, the look and feel of Swarm is like, is like they didn't have time to write Foursquare for iOS 7, so they wrote Swarm instead. <laughs> right, hmm. and yeah, and then they broke up. They broke up the functionality, and now that now that now that Swarm is up on on two on two feet, and you know the majority of people are seem to be using it. Now they've come out with a redesign of Foursquare, you know, as the Yelp substitute. Like I just downloaded the new update today, or yeah, today, and it looks very much like an iOS seven app with the flat icons and you know the flat design that that. Uh, Apple kind of suggested we all go to away from the skeuomorphic stuff, right? You're saying that, that the Foursquare app has been updated for iOS 7? 
Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's now got a new sort of, it's got the new typical iOS 7 flat, you know, feel. You yeah, know, no, but I, I just wanted to clarify that you were talking about the Foursquare app while the Swarm app still exists. Yeah, I mean, the Swarm app uh, it probably what appeared about three months ago, I guess. And yeah. It definitely looked like it was designed in, in for, for iOS 7, right? Um, and possibly, I, I know as as being a developer of, of large apps, that maybe maybe that's why they did that. They made that decision to go to another app in order to basically accommodate the fact that they couldn't take their mothership app down to 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 update it or to to jeopardize that, right? So, hmm. Well, it almost felt, feels like what Apple did with iMovie, you know. Um, what I, I thought was what you were saying, because you know they they kind of stripped it down to the bare bones. Uh, gave it new functionality and put it out there, but uh, this is sort of like a you know a Final Cut and iMovie situation where the the big pro version, the the flagship, if you will, is still out there, um, and it's it's a different track now. And now there's really are there really are two things um, that do kind of the same thing. That's weird. Well, there, uh, there actually are three, you know, because oh, in in this sense, well, I mean, the 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 big debate, I think, I think the jury's still out on Final Cut Pro. I mean. I'm, I'm probably going to get all kinds of things on Twitter, and that's that's a good thing for our podcast. Um, but I know a lot of video professionals and a lot of photographers and stuff like that who are still using Final Cut Pro, and because they don't want they don't like what Apple did with Final Cut 10. You know, even though it's now you know like a, a third of the price, or even a quarter of the price it used to be. Um, I've been using it for the last couple of years, and and I, in fact, I'm using it currently, and it, and it seems to be fine. But um, as an app goes, but it is it does feel very much like iMovie, and it, I think that iMovie transitioned because, you know, they brought out iMovie, iMovie on the iPhone, right? And I, sorry, an iOS, and then they they basically made the macOS version very similar to the iPhone experience, and and you know. Again, it's a consumer product, and, and consumers just don't tend to really sort of, you know, th- get their hackles up as much as professionals do. So pro- professional video editors have been, you know, screaming about the Final Cut update. So that's what I meant about there being three of them. There's the movie, iMovie experience, there's the uh, Final Cut Pro for new users, but all the experienced, you know, studios are still using the old the old uh, tried and true version, right? Oh, I, I'm sorry, yeah. I, I thought we were talking about Foursquare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> so going back to Facebook, uh, having worked on an app that that was in many ways very similar to that, uh, I think I can understand where they're coming from, at least to some degree. Uh, in our app, we had a public messaging area, and we also had a private messaging – sorry, a public broadcasting area and a private messaging area that were really two different pieces of the app, and they were really pretty separate things. But trying to put them together into one app in a – in a unified experience was was difficult and we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to make that work and how to make that happen seamlessly mm-hmm. and and a lot of that time and effort really could have been saved if we had just had two separate apps and and i think that the users came into the app wanting to do either one or the other of the things not necessarily wanting to do both Right. So, so I think it does make a lot of sense from that point of view to have two separate apps. Well, and I, I agree in some, some some senses. In fact, I've even said, you know, in, to, to some of my clients that maybe they should take some of their larger apps and break them down. Um, and because and I've been seeing what 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 uh, you know Foursquare has been doing and, and what um, uh, Facebook's been doing, and they tend to—I mean, Facebook at least tends to lead the sort of way with with uh, things like we've had, you know, the hamburger drawer and all that kind of stuff, right? 
Um, but uh, what do you got? Are there other apps out there that are doing the same kind of thing where they're splitting splitting the experiences up into smaller pieces? Well, like I can't think of an example that does that, but something that's sort of analogous to that is the idea of having a public API and letting third-party developers create apps on top of it, right? Like Twitter comes to mind. You know, like the, the idea of having um, apps that can be the public timeline or apps that use the social data from the timeline to create different experiences. You know, the other three quadrants of Twitter's famous graph. Um, you know, so, but what we're talking about here are first-party apps doing different things with AI. And the reason they would do that is is all business, to my mind. That uh, Foursquare, for example, is looking to uh, to surface different use cases for the same API, uh, generically to check in or to find local resources. Um, and I think Facebook, Facebook is such an interesting example. The same thing, right? Because they're trying all kinds of different things. Um, they, you know, they tried making like a a, a mobile OS essentially uh, with that Android uh, sort of. What do you want to call that? Even uh, it was a springboard. Yeah, it was Facebook. Facebook Home. It was like yeah, a launcher. like a launcher, and it was like a total Facebook experience for your Android phone. Um, then they launched. Um, I can't remember the chronological order of things because I hate Facebook. But they had um, <laughs> paper. Was that what it was called? Paper. Uh, they, they, I can't. I can only remember that they stole other companies' names. <laughs> so um, no, you got it right. So I, I'm, I'm using paper. Ah, so I, I know yes. which one you're talking uh, about. But that's not the only one. There's others. Um, you know that are that are purely messaging experiences or purely sharing experiences. Uh, again, like they're 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 saying that they can do different things with their API. Um, and they're going to write different apps to focus on those uses. You know, when you've got a billion users, right? <laughs> um, yeah, they're not yeah, all going to no, be the yeah. same or have the same needs for Facebook. Yeah, well, I went to the F8 conference, um, the, the satellite version of it here in Great Toronto. Zeus. And yeah, oh. oh, yeah. We got invited for free. Why, Why not? not? Right? But, so I went to it to see what was going on. And, and they were pushing a lot of, you know, the fact that they just bought Parse, right? And, and how they were integrating their ads, ad networks into iOS and into uh, Parse so that you could basically use the power of Facebook. The power and, of Facebook. The, by the power of Facebook, you could, you know, <laughs> by Grapthar's hammer, you could, you know, hammer out contacts and, and, and sell ads to to uh, other people. But it's not just that, but they were the promise they were luring us, you know, meager little indie developers in with was the story that uh, we could use the Facebook API to download our apps. And that's when they sort of introduced the whole app page for for um, your applications. You know, you can have little ads and get them up there for a few bucks. And, and, and again, it's, it's money. They get money from the developers who want to advertise. And then they obviously, you know, take percentages of, of whatever it can get downloaded, right? So, and the more people you get on Parse, the more money they make, you know, exactly, it all adds up, right? But it was it was interesting. And, and you know, I think they would like us to build all our apps in their, in their API. No doubt. Right? Yeah, we, we've done a few uh, apps that use Facebook API for, for metrics and for, you know, to, to sort of work hand in hand or hand in glove, if you will, with the Facebook uh, ad experience, you know, having pages and getting likes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then using the Facebook demographic to target your ads to, to, the, to those people. I mean, there's a whole, I think there's a whole discussion about the ad networks out that are out there. Um, I was speaking with a developer the other day who was telling me about how he's using um, one of the ad networks to do video ads in games. So he, but he's getting money for the customers by, by hooking them into these ad networks so they can reap the rewards of ads, even though 
I think Mark and I have discussed this in the past. Our experience with ad networks is that you don't, they don't, you don't make any money off of them. What do you yeah, guys think I, of that? I, I, I've definitely found from uh, banner ads, you don't really make any money from unless you have a, an enormous user base. That's for you're sure. Ta- you're talking about in, in iOS apps. Yes. Specific. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, and my experience with web apps is, is you know, I've been using uh, banner ads and web for forever. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a minimum amount of money, like, say, $50 before they'll cut you a check. Well, I've been writing web apps for 15 years. I have not received my first check yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like tenths of a penny. So not nothing to write home to mom about. Um, anything, no. Any other thoughts on the breaking up of apps or... Um, I, I guess kind of a company that's gone in the opposite direction because they don't really have a singular experience is Google. I mean, think about all the apps that Google has out there for iOS. Yeah, that's true. That they've never they've never had a cohesive experience. Exactly. Well, and the same thing with like you know, um, just even trying to use Google Docs today. Um, I've, I've not really used it very much. I know tons of customers who are totally invested in it. I've had a Gmail account simply for years, but I hardly ever use it, right? So I just found out today that there's a Google Docs app for the iPad. I'm like, oh, great, another Google app, right? Thankfully, mm-hmm. Apple created folders on the on the iOS experience so I can store all my Google apps mm. together. <laughs> so uh, one, la- one last thought. I actually think we should maybe think of this as an opportunity for indie developers. Uh, when everyone was building these big getting getting larger platforms or, or suites it's it's pretty hard for an indie developer to compete against that if we go back to the smaller apps that do one thing then it's a lot easier to get noticed uh, or or compete with that at all uh, or even get acquired by a bigger company who wants that one little piece instead of developing it themselves and i'm going to jump in with with an idea that Jaime was going to talk about later and that's um the whole concept of you know the the app that just says yo Right. Right. In fact, in fact, I heard today. I didn't read the article, but I saw today that that the app that says Yo does more than just say Yo now. But, but it comes down to a simple thing that Jaime sent me a link the other day um, called Push for Pizza. Yeah. So it's it's one of those apps that's right on the trend of of Yo um, that you really can only do one thing. And in this case, you uh, the use case is you want pizza, you want it now, you want to deliver it right to you. You don't want to have to keep entering in your information. And so you enter in your information, I believe, once, like your credit card info, maybe your your location if it's not automatically chosen. And you select, do you like cheese pizza? Do you like pepperoni pizza? And you push a button and you get pizza. And the next time you want pizza, you push a button, you get pizza. It doesn't even seem like you can choose, you know, the vendor of the pizza, right? Well, I order pizza from one place just up the street for me. I don't want to talk to anybody when I order a pizza, right? And I always order the same thing. So it makes perfect sense. It's kind of like that. Like, I mean, they mention Uber in their in their in their ads, and but it's the same sort of thing. I use Uber all the time. Mark actually turned me on to Uber, um, and here in Toronto, it's cabbies that are taking fares. So and it's and it's a great service. I love the fact that you know I can basically, you know, wherever I am in the city, punch in my punch in my location, say I need a cab. Any cab shows up. And the driver loves it because they don't have to get they don't get hassled about money. They know they're going to get their tip. Um, you know, and it's all done automatically. So the whole, the concept of pushing a button for pizza is super convenient. I think a lot of a lot of people are going to like that, right? So yeah, you hit, you hit on my favorite part of Uber, which I think would be my favorite part of of the pizza one as well, is that it's it's truly a cashless transaction. You don't even right. have to you don't have a credit card at the time of the of the transaction. It's it's pre registered. Uh, it's it just automatically gets charged to your card, and it just happens. You know, just somebody shows up and hands you a pizza, and they leave, and that's it. 
Well, and see, and this is truly, I think, the, the, the spirit of an indie developer is this whole idea of these three guys got together with this idea, I'm going to push a button and get a pizza. You know, that's exactly where, where indie guys, and that's the kind of little nuggets that indie guys need to sort of jump on. And, and oh, it'll be interesting to see how far push for pizza goes, you know, like if it's able to build up. That would be hilarious if it did, though. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> it doesn't offer a lot of choices. Um, what size pizza are you getting? Who's it from? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> those are details. Well, you know, to me, I'm sorry, but those are the actual details that matter. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. yeah, that's what I was saying about the fact that I have a preferred vendor. Yeah. I mean, but that said, I mean, I don't know if you remember the days back in college when pizza used to show up and it would be like, you know, be a room of like 20 students in one room and the pizza would show up and it was like zombies, eat, you know, attacking a kill. You know, you, you learn to eat pizza really quick if you wanted two slices. <laughs> sure, when it's free. You know, when you're hungry and it shows up and you just want to have a pizza, for for the young 20-somethings, it makes perfect sense. It's it's like, you know, super convenient food, right? So so last week we were talking about uh, the um, the iWatch, you know, supposedly coming, not coming, whatever. And, uh, you know, Gruber posted something on, on – uh, on, or it was quoted, misquoted, I think. Um, and it sort of started up another little firestorm that we're going to – talk about so aaron do you want to sort of fill us in on the details yeah, on that sure uh well this was <laughs> uh i think it was last friday i want to say last friday and there there was a post on daring fireball about gee what was it oh yes the motorola 360 watch and um the the joke was that uh you know it's going to be launching and and gruber's made no uh bones about how he dislikes that watch um particularly around the the sort of clipped bezel around it's not actually a round circle it is clipped uh it's got a little hump in the bottom uh and they're shipping that and he has constantly been making fun of them ever since that's the, that's the motorola yes watch the motorola about? 360 okay. the moto 360 smartwatch and uh the verge on friday posted an article showing for the first time the moto 360 in its charger the idea being that you would sit the watch in this charger and it's like a magnetic induction charging device um, so there's no cables to plug in. It's really sharp. The joke that, that Gruber made was, uh, you know, I, I've actually got it up here in my computer, and I will read it to you. The only way this could get funnier would be if it doesn't even ship until after Apple announces their wrist-wearable thing next month. I read that, and I took it as the joke that he surely intended it to be, uh, and had a laugh and moved on with my life. But uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Mark Gurman, 9to5Mac, uh, says Gruber confirming that the smartwatch is coming out in September. And then that, of course, got picked up by everyone. I was uh, actually just listening to the talk show or the beginning of it before we started recording tonight, uh, and they actually are talking about it on there. Um, so, you know, just inside baseball here, uh, it was a joke. He has no foresight at all about the smartwatch uh, that Apple may mm -hmm. or may not be making. <laughs> he posted this thing just before he got on a plane uh, from Orlando to Philadelphia. And uh, by the time he got off the plane, uh, the Internet had kind of erupted in this. Can we use swear words? <laughs> this bleep <laughs> storm of the uh, the joke really is on on, as usual, the tech media blowing everything way out of proportion and obviously like so clear to me and i think to many people who use their brains that this was just a joke so um this is just an example of the internet being stupid and you shouldn't read it and i saw your comment about uh to, on twitter about gruber and you know uh, that 
he probably didn't expect the, the firestorm that he got. But and it's funny because I did hear some stuff again about the Apple Watch, and they were supposedly quoting or saying that you know Tim Cook is saying nothing about it. Well, obviously he's saying nothing about it, but I, I think that a lot of people are blowing this whole iWatch thing out, out of proportion. It's been going on for almost a year now, I think, right? A long, a long time. Um... You know, people have been speculating about a watch ever since I think the iPad came out. And I think the reason is that the iPad is the last thing everybody has been speculating that Apple would have to make. You know, like they finally came out with a phone and, you know, this is going back years and years, of course. But people have been hoping that Apple would make a phone for a very long time. And then when they did that, they kind of moved on to the tablet. We knew that Apple would be making a tablet. Just a question of when. They finally did. And and now our next thing is... And it's, it's tied also to the fortunes of the company itself. You have to wonder, like, where are they going to make all their billions of dollars next? And what could it be? Is it going to be a TV thing? Or is it going to be a wearable thing? And people are reading the tea leaves and they think it's the wearable. I think you posted on your, your uh, Big Fruit uh, newsletter about the uh, Modbook, which was a kind of interesting thing back in, you know, I think it was 2011 no, it was or 2010. Yeah, and and what it was is you could send them your you could buy a MacBook, the little white guys, and send it to them, and they would turn they would rip it apart and put on a, a you know almost like a Gorilla Glass type uh, screen touchscreen, and you would have basically a pen based computer to compete with the pen based you know Windows computers that were out there, um, and people bought them. I think there was a couple of dealers in in Toronto for sure that were selling them, and, and I think you uh, you posted that there's. You, they've come back again with a Kickstarter campaign where they can you can get a, a tablet made up. So the whole tablet computer experience thing has been going on for a long, long time. But the watch stuff, which which is interesting, uh, I saw today. I mean, everybody's putting sort of the pieces together in their minds. They're, they're talking about the fact that Apple's got a patent for curved glass um, and that they're also talking about sapphire glass. So they're, everybody's sort of in their mind, like Lego, putting together this, this fabulous thing that Apple's going to come up with. And... and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't come out with an iWatch. Well, it know? goes back to the same old question. What job is this thing going to solve? And I have heard nothing, nothing. That Well, it's going to solve all of Jaime's, Jaime's first yeah, world problems, okay. right? I, I, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, if they come out with one, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> but I just, I just don't get what the big deal is going to be. You know, it's not going to change the world like the iPhone did or the iPad did. Um, you know, it's just, it's going to be something convenient. And... Jaime and sure. I are going to totally line up and buy the goddamn thing and put it on our wrists and look like dorks. Or we'll look okay. super cool. <laughs> but not everybody is going to spend $300 on that. That's true. And Mark, you were going to say something about HealthKit? Oh, I was just saying the, the one application that people have talked about a lot is as a, a health monitor that you wear. Yeah. Uh, right, be, right. Uh, yeah, so that, that has potential. But wouldn't it be hilarious if all of this was just a, a big red herring? to get uh, Samsung and others to develop a lot of development resources. Mission accomplished. On, on, uh, on the, yeah. And and what if, so what do you do with the TV? Well, you watch it, right? Maybe the iWatch is just the uh, the code word for the new Apple TV <laughs> that's been proposed for years. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, because I think Aaron and I were talking the other day, and I actually brought up that same point that maybe, maybe this is a ruse to sort of, you know, you know what do you call it throwing a blind trail up where you're trying to trying to you know fool the hounds that are chasing you into into going down the wrong path but uh, i think aaron mentioned timex and qualcomm and at&t are working on some new watch gizmo thing right yes that was just announced this week um timex is building a watch in partnership with qualcomm who has a uh this, I think they're providing the CPU, and they've also got a new type of display uh, that's like e-ink but full color. 
And they're also working with AT&T to provide the 3G, I think it's 3G service, so that this is like the first smart watch that does not require a smartphone. Uh, for all the good it will do you, it looks like a total dog, but there it is. Well, interesting. It's it's kind of funny how these, these rumors get started and continue on, and we have to talk about them for ad nauseum. Oh, it's just a terrible burden. Well, speaking of last week, we, we, were, we were talking about Jared Sinclair and revealing his, his uh, income and ha- how he wasn't happy with being an indie developer anymore and he was going to go off and do some other stuff. So he just came out um, probably three or four days ago and said that, hey, starting Monday, I'm going to be joining Bloglovin as the lead iOS engineer. Okay. And, and he did talk a little bit about, you know, this is a full-time position. Um, he's going to continue to maintain some level of maintenance for his existing apps. Right. Um, but I, I, I think it's a really good follow-up to last week's discussion about, you know, hey, this was somebody who, who tried doing D&D thing, was, you know, pretty well publicized, I, I think, as far as, you know, most indie developers go. Uh, didn't make a ton of money off of it. And it, he doesn't explicitly state it here, but it you can sort of say, well, perhaps he was influenced by that to say, you know what, I... I really just want the more of the stability from an income standpoint. As it happens, um, he Jared Sinclair was on uh, Charles Perry and Joseph Plinkthy's show, um, Release Notes. Uh, it aired on August 4th, actually. And um, they did an interview with him, and he talked about actually that uh, at the very end of, you know, Jared's relating all of this experience and the, the blog posts that we were talking about last week. They said, so what are you doing now? And he said, actually, I'm looking for a staff position at another company. Like, he made it very clear. I'm getting out of this business. And, and they said, okay, well, that's the end of the show. Bye. <laughs> to me, like, whoa, did you guys listen to that? <laughs> did you hear what he just said to you? You end the show? Then that's the best part. <laughs> I, I wonder. Well, that really called for an after dark totally. episode. Totally. I, I, sure. I don't know if you could ever reach through a podcast and, like, strangle somebody, but... <laughs> Oh, that that was the you know that was blowing the lead entirely. That was the whole point. Um, to me, it's just a damn shame. Obviously, um, you know, you're looking for security. You're looking for uh, that kind of thing. I don't think Jared was really cut out to uh, to live the indie life, unfortunately. But uh, given his experience, you know, he, there, I think there's so much more he could have done to. And he admitted as much in the in that interview. There was way more he could have done to market his product. Well, and that's true. I mean, like we we did discuss this last week that you know, with with any kind of business, when you're making some money, you you have to take some of that money and reinvest in it. You know, develop it, try and get you know more more ground out of it, rather than saying, "Hey, I got a paper route and I don't have enough customers." Hmm. Right? Um, you know, so you you get a bigger paper route, or you get two paper routes, or whatever it is. You know, you you build on you build on your success rather than rather than uh, giving up. Right? So. Not, I, I guess, I don't know if he's giving up. I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but... I don't, it seems like it is to me. It. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's he's taken a full-time job. He's putting his products into sort of maintenance mode. He's essentially, he's kind of walking away from it. Well, and, th- and that's the sad thing, too, because, I mean, I have a few apps that I use on, on my computers, and, and this is apps that I've had long before the, the App Store came along, and, uh, you know, with, with subsequent things like Lion coming out and... Um, yeah, I think it was Lion or Mountain Lion broke the broke the app and, and the timestamps are wrong, but I still use the app, right? Because I still like the utility of it. And I reached out to the developer a couple of weeks ago and I have, you know, all I heard back was crickets, mm. right? 
Um, like obviously somebody's written it and this happened before I've come across apps or, or APIs that I like and, and you try and reach out to the guy and he's either graduated or got a day job or, you know, moved to Hawaii yeah, or something. That, that's you know? very common. It's part of the churn of the software world. Um, yeah. So it's, it's unfortunate because I mean, and it's like the flappy bird guy. I mean, you know, he, he was, he had a good thing, even though he didn't understand or appreciate the attention that he got. Um, you know, because it was such a such a, as Jaime put it the other way, it's such a first world problem to have, and he wasn't living in in the first world, right? Well, one thing though that I don't quite get is is why everyone thinks of this as such a a permanent, you know, black and white kind of thing. You're either an indie or you have a job, and there's no going back and forth. Uh, there have been you know a number of times where I've gone and worked for a startup for you know six months or a year or whatever, and then for whatever reason that doesn't you know, that doesn't gel and then just go back to doing the indie stuff. And, and it, it seems to me like it's, things are, are a little bit more fluid than we're making it out to be. Uh, it doesn't mean that Jared can never write another app as an indie developer again, just because he's doing this. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Well, that's actually what I'm doing right now. You know, uh, uh, you know, I guess I should say, clarify that I'm actually looking for work, but I'm, I intend to find it <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, I'm fully indie. <laughs> I just got the feeling, though, that Jared had kind of washed his hands of the whole indie lifestyle, uh, that he kind of concluded that it wasn't working out for him and that it mm-hmm. couldn't work mm-hmm. out for him, more yeah. to the point. And maybe that's the right decision for yeah. him, but, uh, but you know, I think we should be a little careful to make sure that we're not thinking of this as an indictment of the entire industry. Well, that's, that's a good point, and, and that's sort of what the, the uh, Brent Simmons' original question to it was, was who out there is a pure ios indie developer and and the answer is probably very few of us right because in, like in my case i've never I, mean, I consider myself an indie developer but i also consider myself a small software shop too right you know because i don't work by myself i i bring you guys in to help me out with things from time to time but i don't think that i don't think you can be a purely indie developer and i don't think i don't think it's possible now you know we talked about this last week the fact that that it's it's become so difficult if you're not prepared to market and be, and act like a true company even though you're an individual um you're always going to be you know facing this sort of um ceiling of complexity if i can borrow a term from another another experience um where you can't sort of break through and and get to the a position of clarity where you understand what's going on right so so yeah, so we're we're about to wrap up. Why don't we uh, why don't we go around the circle here and see what uh, what apps or or experiences or technologies are kind of uh, getting people uh, getting people excited? Um, you have anything to add there, Aaron? Oh no, you know I've been spending the whole week uh, this so far uh, trying to wrap my head around some new iOS eight stuff um, in Xcode. Okay, and uh, getting really frustrated actually with size classes, auto layout, and UI scroll view. Um, so okay. Uh, I'm not excited about anything, and I just want to burn the whole thing down. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. You, I noticed you said today that you down. I know when I can't talk about the technologies, but but uh, you, I think you said you downloaded the latest build of Xcode, and it wasn't really happy, or the Xcode beta wasn't really happy with your machine, or you were you were going crash build. Oh, crash, I build, I retweeted crash, somebody else saying that, and you know, I said yeah. That, oh, is it? Yeah, okay, that's, okay. that sounds familiar. I'm not getting a lot of crashes actually. It's pretty stable. It's just not working as as I'd like it to be, and I. I suspect that it's a beta issue. Jaime, do you have anything besides push for pizza? You know, I, I don't. Um, similar to Aaron, really looking <laughs> at some of the iOS 8 stuff, in, in my case, starting to look at more of the um, the push notification side and okay. what's available with, you know, oh, you can actually have a button to say, 
yes or no or yes, I would like to shop now because that's actually something that I, I don't think I'm alone in, in people thinking will will change a lot of the interactions and, and, and people not actually having to go into apps to do um, a handful of things yeah, kind of lends itself well to yeah. mm-hmm. to like an iWatch sort of thing where, oh, yes, yes, I would like to meet you. No, I don't want to meet you right now. Yeah, there's a lot of like we have a, a lot of apps like chat apps where you have um, quick forms where you, rather than actually go, launching the actual chat, you can just quickly you know, I'll be right there or uh, got stuck in traffic or you know I love you too you know kind of messages you can send out really quickly without having to dive into the app to do that kind of thing. I think that's uh, that's something that people have been looking for a long time. I think from a user point of view as well, it's usability. So. Mark, have you got anything technology? Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. I've just kind of had my had my head down looking at iOS 8 things. Um, okay. I actually am excited by a couple of little things like the, you know, the auto resizing cable view cells, which I think are awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know this, Tim, that I've been pretty reluctant to adopt uh, auto layout for a long time, but I'm, right. I'm finally I'm finally finally being won over. I think in this in this version. Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, I, and I spent the last week working a lot of, on the, last weekend anyway, working on uh, a lot of Swift stuff um, because I teach iOS and, and I have some courses coming up. Um, I, I know the question is going to come up, so I need to really sort of brush up on the basics of Swift. And I know there's a lot of people out on Twitter really trying to break it, but uh, but um, I'm trying to get my head wrapped around the basics and, and take some of my simple little courses and, and transfer them over. So playing around with, with Swift a lot today was was kind of good and and challenge for me as as a coder coming from a scripting ba- basis of javascript and you know java and um, php getting my head wrapped around objective c was was taking a long long time and and i'm finding swift a lot easier to sy- get sinking into my head right um and i think that part of the path of the way apple's developed things towards swift you know they added the dot syntax a few years ago into i can't remember if it was ios 4 or 5 uh, where you can start using dot syntax, and and then they they sort of automated the whole synthesizing of properties and and variables. Actually, I actually want to ask you a question. Just and I heard something the other day from a from a, a post from I think it was a Swift group out of London, in England, that somebody had posted an article about the fact that we shouldn't be using var in Swift. We should be using let instead of var. Well, you should just prefer immutable well, state to mutable state. Yeah, meaning like when you make a, when you do a var, it sort of becomes immutable. Yeah, a var is a mutable it, it, variable. So when you assign a value to it, it's 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 kind of stuck with no, that. No, it's whereas, not whereas stuck. You, Let is a, is immutable, oh, okay. and you are stuck with the value that it gets assigned. It right, can't change. Right. That's okay. a good thing. <laughs> the gist of the post was that that we really shouldn't like a, a lot of examples I've seen in, in on the web and stuff that people are posting. You know, they're always using var to sort of declare things, whereas this guy was going saying, no, you should use let. There was an explanation about you know when when if you use var x can be five and then a second later it can be seven right. so does that mean seven equals five you know kind of thing it doesn't make sense logically well the the trend like in in programming circles really is to think about um, how much of the programming state can you keep immutable uh, unchanging right. uh, because that's where a lot of the issues in programming comes from uh, having mutable state and so. Um, I think that post is really talking about the idea that people who don't understand the difference between var and let mindlessly right. use var, uh, especially those who come from, say, a JavaScript background. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and so I think his po- point would be like, okay, so if you're going to be mindless, use let. 
and then when when things don't work out as you're hoping, that then you can consider using VAR. Uh, but it would be great if you understood the difference between them because uh, it is a big deal. So where can we reach you, Aaron? At my blog, aaron.vay.ca, V is in Victor, E-G-H dot C-A, uh, or my weekly magazine, bigfruitmag.net, published every Friday. And they can follow you on Twitter at... at Aaron Vay. Okay. You're going to sell, sing that for Jaime We're this time? We're not singing. I think we went over this. There's no singing. <laughs> <laughs> Other people should sing for us, right? That, that's the better that, part. Yes. M-O-U-S-E. Okay. Uh, Jaime, where can people reach you? I have my own blog at devwithahair.com. I'm also available on Twitter at devwithahair and also still on app.net at devwithahair as well. <laughs> okay. Hanging out there. And Mark, where can people reach you? Uh, you can send me an email to markr at smapsoft.com. That's S-M-A-P-P-S-O-F-T. Uh, or go to the website www.smapsoft.com. Okay, cool. And I'm uh, I'm Tim Mitra, of course, and I'm t- at Tim Mitra at Twitter. That's T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. And uh, I am also the owner of the website where this blog is hosted, IT Guy Technologies is it-guy.com. And you can reach me there on any of the contact pages. Okay, guys, I guess we'll uh, check in next week and we'll go from there. Bye. 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 Bye.